Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners. It's Nicole Giantonio, the founder of Left Foot. And I'm here to announce that our 12 audio-based business development challenges are now available. 12 practical, execution-oriented steps to predictable success. Part of the Left Foot GPS growth practice solutions for business development. Go to leftfoot.com GPS for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest is a widely regarded public lands, environmental, and natural resources lawyer. Prior to working at two top firms, he served in senior positions at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. The chair of Wilmer Hale's Energy, Environment, Natural Resources Practice, the partner in charge of the Denver office, Andy Spielman, welcome to Left Foot. Thank you very much, Nicole. It's great to be here and I appreciate the invitation. Great to have you as a guest on our program, Andy. Let's jump into the questions. Which of your personal strengths or habits have allowed you to be successful in developing business for your firm? Before I was a lawyer, I had another career and it was uh, a customer service oriented line of work, if you will. And the skills I developed there, remembering at all times that I'm a professional service provider, there's a lot of great talent out there in the market and folks who are making business decisions who to represent them or who to hire to represent them are my customers. We call them clients at the law firms, but they're customers and they require great service. I think another important piece of my approach is to be a team player. And everybody says that, but it's why I'm not a sole practitioner, frankly. It's why I chosen to develop my legal career at a wonderful platform like where I practice now at Wilmer Hale. We act as a team. We work in a team manner and frankly want to be a part of our client's team and team that way. I guess the final piece is patience. This is a relationship business. And I frankly like to make friends first. And then if business develops, great. Great points. And definitely having that customer service, client service approach, being a member of a team. And of course, in big firms, there's a lot of cross communication that can lead to opportunity. And then of course, the patience. I'd like to dive into that patience a bit more because I know a lot of our lawyers that listen to Left Foot that we hear from struggle with, should they keep doing what they're doing? Should they keep going to those networking functions? Should they keep sending newsletters or sending e-newsletters or, or really driving home points with their clients? Or you know, is there a different approach? I mean, for you, how has that patience paid off? And if there is an example of where patience paid off, I think that would be helpful. One of the things I probably found more difficult or shied away from earlier in my career was just asking, just have a candid conversation. I think that one of the other things I've found to be very helpful in addition to that constant real-time client feedback is constant self-evaluation. So as you said, go to a lot of network events, take a look back at some point in time to try to ascertain what the reward, if you will, has been from that investment. In terms of an example where patience has paid off, there's I've got lots of them. There's folks that I've met at conferences. I only attend one or two a year, but I go every single year. Years and years later, somebody calls and says, remember me? Going to the same conferences year after year, that is something that we have heard consistently. And it's different than going to new conferences or many new things each year because you establish relationships, you're able to reconnect with people. 
And you become part of the people recognize you. And I think that it's a small thing, but it is great advice. And you also mentioned that they're industry specific. And we've really encouraged lawyers to do more industry specific conferences versus going to conferences with other lawyers. You know, it depends on your practice and your practice area. So great point. Going to lead into our next question, which is about strategy and growth strategy. As the partner in charge of the Denver office, you are communicating for your firm, for your office about the business that you have, the hours that your team is billing, the clients that are associated with that office, and really what is coming down for the remainder of the month, the quarter, the year, so that you can show that you're utilizing the resources there. Do you have a thought out growth strategy as you turn into each new year? And if you could shed some light on what that strategy is, it would be great to understand how formal or informal that strategy is and how often you actually see how you're doing in comparison to the strategy. Well, it's a work in progress. The firm had decided on a few practice areas that we would focus on. And I'm a scuba diver. And in scuba diving, we say, plan your Mm -hmm. dive and dive your plan. So we've got a plan here and we talk pretty regularly and it's one of the luxuries of being a 20-lawyer office within a, an international law firm of over a thousand lawyers. But when at the numbers we're at with a 20 lawyers and about 30 headcount, we can make sure that we're talking about not only what industries, but what specific clients we think are the, we would be the best fit to help them and would be the best fit for our plan and work together across practices, as you were just talking about, to, to execute. Not in a haphazard way, not in a floppy way, frankly, not in a way that becomes time drain or a bother to folks we're hoping to represent someday. That's really the most important part of building out the Denver office of Wilmer Hale. That's a very strategic plan, great communication across practice areas, and having identified and executing in a very deliberate manner the folks that we're hoping we'll have the honor to represent. I like the idea that you've actually identified clients that you would want to have on your client list you would want to be representing out in the market. What is your approach? So if you've identified a particular client and there isn't a current relationship with that client, what would be an approach that you would suggest to a partner that's been assigned that client more specifically? I like to show value even before a client is a client. They might never become a client, but I feel like that's frankly the best chance of them asking for us to represent them. So let me give you a couple of concrete examples. We'll host a lunch and learn and invite through an association, for example, the ACC chapter here in Denver, the Association of Corporate Counsel, and they convene anyways, and we'll find out what topic is of interest. And it's something where we have a practitioner we think is particularly skilled in that area. We'll ask if we can share our thoughts in their regular event. And that's a way for us to profile a person or her practice or her experiences in a way that's frankly not salesmanship. And that's a fine line. Sometimes we'll be invited in to meet with the legal department at a particular company. And the thing I shy away from is bring the group in and do the, hey, here's a bunch of smart people who went to schools and have letters after their names. Every lawyer in the country has that. We try to do is first understand not just the industry that clients in, but their particular business and come in and identify a couple areas that, of the law that we think are evolving, are changing, they may not be aware of, it may affect their specific operations and share that. Instead of a sales pitch, it's a sharing of knowledge. They may get it without hiring us or they may ask us to join the team. 
Great point. And I think that you're adding value and really sharing something that will resonate. And of course, they'll see as adding value is so important. And hopefully we're going to spend some time talking about value and how to communicate, whether it's associated with an actual price or an hourly bill or an AFA as we get into our discussion. That said, you know, Andy, it'd be helpful to hear about an experience where either you were surprised at how you were able to add a client to your practice, to the office there in Denver, or one where you were not surprised, but happy that your strategy and the tactical points were successful. We all have our plans and we can be strategic and execute them, but it's also a customer service business. And sometimes the phone just rings. To an earlier question, it may be somebody I met months or years ago, somebody who just frankly kind of calls out of the blue. And we receive those not daily, but they sure are nice. It's a real honor and there's no better problem to have than to think you know what your day is like and then somebody else asks for some help and some representation. I'm a public lands lawyer and there's four or five industries that really need counsel on public lands. One of them is developed recreation, which is the ski industry. And I've been working in the ski industry since I started practicing 20 years ago. It's a small industry. And one of the things I've found is that folks like the benefit of experience from you know a lawyer who's been involved in somebody else's success in a similar project. Do you think those opportunities are coming through referrals or do you know that they're coming through referrals from other clients? Are they coming from a direct effort on your part to reach out and communicate again to the earlier point and add value prior to them being clients like Vail Resorts. If you're doing some work for them and you've, you've identified something that's unique to their population or what they do, and then you've gone to some other community and said, we've recognized that this is an issue in the ski industry, in ski resorts, you might want to ensure that you're prepared for it or provide some advice there. You know, what has been that approach? More referrals or is it, you think, a combination of both? I think it's a combination of both. And I'll segue over to the other industry where I spend a lot of my day is in the energy industry. And that's a very dynamic regulatory environment. And I mean daily, not monthly or yearly, particularly after a change in federal administrations. The energy industries, and there's conventionals, there's renewables, there's pipelines and transmission, there's clean tech, there's utility scale and and micro. And while different, there are many similarities. And in regulatory environments in particular, we do tend to make folks aware of changes in how we think that would affect their business. And sometimes that results in a phone call and sometimes a thank you from an existing client. And every so often, I think it does tip the balance and puts us front of mind with somebody who may not have realized there was a need or may have realized there was a need and the in-house team thought it might be good to get another set of hands from the outside team. So that's been very helpful. The other piece implicit in your question though is sometimes there just is a referral. Company A says, you know, Spielman helped us accomplish our goal with that. And company B says, boy, we're doing something similar and maybe we should look into those folks. And a lot of times company B is calling company A. And when we talk to GCs, it really has an impact. Referrals from other general counsel, referral from other in-house counsel is definitely a way that they're finding, especially new partners to work with, whether they be legal tech, legal services providers, or an accomplished practitioner. It's a great point. There's almost no greater honor. It just There's a little bit of mathematics in supply and demand. I'm not an economist, but there are more service providers and the companies we work with are trying to more tightly manage their outside spend and frankly, 
contract, not expand the outside council roster. So for one GC to say to another GC, the Wilmer Hale team helped us with such and such, you might want to give them a call. In an environment where general counselors are not necessarily looking to add law firms to the roster, again, there's no greater honor or a validation of what we're trying to do. And people move around and that can always lead to more and more. And now a word from our sponsor, Nicole here, and a shout out and thank you for tuning in to the Left Foot Podcast. Are you looking to energize your business development efforts? Our 12 Left Foot Business Development Challenges will energize your efforts in three areas. Business Development Grit, tactical habits that lead to business development success, including networking, nailing your niche, how to focus and develop an expert reputation, commercial savoir-faire, a discussion on business and the revenue side of law. At Left Foot, we believe 20% of people are natural at business development, 10% say no to business development, and 70% are neutral and can adopt the skills necessary when presented in an organized, methodical way. To learn more and be challenged, go to the GPS page at leftfoot.com. The market has changed. I mean, the legal budgets are now definitely being analyzed at organizations. They're being allocated differently to all different kinds of services, legal service providers, legal tech. Of course, you know, in-house counsel, in-house legal departments are growing. What has been your experience through these changing market conditions specific to maintaining your clients and then growing your client base? How has the changing market conditions affected you and your practices? Great question. I think about it every day and I think everybody should. When I was growing up, I think Oldsmobile did a redesign and they said the 1980 or 90, whatever it was, Oldsmobile, it's not your father's Oldsmobile. Always stuck with me. Today is not your mother or father's legal market. I think there's more and more pressures and expectations of in-house counsel to not only better utilize or be more efficient with resources, but to handle more of a transaction, a deal or litigation in-house. The billing piece, it's, uh, it's on everybody's mind or should be. And I learn about it from general counsels. We just talk. We have conversations. We have to. It's a business relationship. Everybody can have their needs met in a way that enables them to meet their business needs, right? We all have targets. We all have expectations. I'm sure AFAs are not a new topic, but they're still not as easily received at some law firms as one would think they should be. And back it up a little bit. I think there was a time not too long ago, certainly in my career, where the question from a client, which is sure a fair question was, what's this going to cost? And the answer would be, we're going to have lawyer A and lawyer B on it and their rates are X and Y and we'll figure out how long it takes and then you'll get your bill. And that's just not the way it's working anymore. We have thousands of data points. So when we're asked about a given matter, we know what typically the budget would be for such a matter in a specific jurisdiction with a specific number of parties or a specific set of circumstances or a specific dollar asset value or number of parties in litigation with likelihoods to settle at various stages. And we can budget and share that budget. And a general counsel can say, sharpen your pencil. And then we have what I call the no surprises rule. 
And that's really the success. So I don't want my clients surprised when they get the bills. It should look almost exactly like what we talked about. The idea of using matter management, using effective project management, and frankly, is removing the risk that the in-house lawyers would have with more open-ended arrangement, right? And it doesn't mean that if something changes along the way that you're not going to have a conversation with them and say, hey, you know what we discussed? Well, at this point, to your point, no surprises, right? At this point, things have changed. There's additional information. Let's have a conversation. But it's having that business conversation. So I guess it leads me to say, you know, it sounds like you're comfortable having those business conversations. How would other lawyers who are less comfortable, what advice would you give them as how to approach really having those business conversations about you know, the matter based on our assessment, based on the data that we have internally to our firm? We expect that this is how this will go. And based on the potential outcome we're looking for, what the cost will be. You know, is there some hints? Are there some hints? It's not easy. I want to acknowledge that it's not easy today and it was less easy 10 years ago. I like to make friends first. The stronger the personal relationship is, the easier it is to have those conversations. That being said, this is business and even where it's more strictly business, if you will, just a direct business to business conversation is it's appreciated if not expected. And I think part of this shift in the way we do business and it doesn't fit every personality perfectly, but it's maybe just something for folks to push themselves through. And I think once you have those tough conversations a couple times, they get easier and they're much easier as everybody knows than the other tough conversation, which is what you got your bill and it's X times what you thought it would be. That's a tough conversation. Absolutely agree. And I think to your point, obviously the more you do it, the easier it gets. It's, It's interesting. Early in my career, I had to do a lot of collections, another uncomfortable position to be in, but one that really had to happen, right? And the more you do it, the more it just becomes part of the conversation. It's not personal. It's part of the business conversation has to happen. And I think over time they do become easier. And, you know, really that idea of letting the client know what the bill is going to be before they get it. I had one guest come on the show and said they never send a bill without discussing it first that, you know, just want to let you know, this is what you can expect. Having that conversation, you know, the bill is sent. So there isn't concern on the receiving end. It's a great part of, uh, you know, what is going on in the industry today. The fact that we have the ability to have a matter management database that really talks about, you know, shows data on past experience. We have technology that can assist with decreasing costs related to discovery. We have the opportunity to do effective project management relying on tools, noting those things, better e-billing systems, et cetera. Knowing that all those things exist and using many of them, I'm sure, at your firm, What are you seeing in the industry that you think is truly innovative? The e-billing system seemed like, I don't know, mysterious, perhaps an annoyance five, 10 years ago. Let's call it 10 years ago. Now I think it's a great tool for everybody because a client doesn't have to call and ask for recruitals. They know exactly what's going on. There's a budget entered into whatever software it is, and there's several great ones out there. And we have a sense for if a surprise is about to happen or not and can avoid that as well. I think the e-billing is almost a worst case scenario. May reflect the bill exactly, or the client may receive a bill even smaller than what shows up in the software. You know, that's a really good point. One of the things we have educated or tried to educate folks on when you're talking about billing is it is always helpful to 
not only, of course, review them, make sure that they properly represent the value you expect the client is going to align with that bill. But also if there are exceptions being made that you might want to communicate those. We were able to provide you with a lower bill because we're utilizing this new technology or you're like informing them as to why it might be lower than they might expect, increasing the value that they would take away from that bill. Have you done any kind of work like that where you've actually been communicating with your clients about how you're creating more value in the services you're delivering? Absolutely, Nicole. I'm so glad you used the word value. What is the value proposition in any business arrangement? One of the things that we do, we go back to our general counsel clients from time to time and just sit down and nobody's on the clock and it's not matter specifically. Just how's it going? Consistently, we hear we want our outside counsel to A, know our industry and B, know our business. It's embarrassing even as outside counsel to sit in the conference room with the clients and when they mention their operations in a certain state or a certain country to say, you have operations in that state or that country. We're supposed to know that. We're supposed to know their business. They expect it of us. And I know this. They tell me that. They want to know our industry. They want energy lawyers who know the energy industry. They want folks in automotive practices who support automotive practices to know the automotive industry. And financial services, financial technology, life sciences, you name it. So we spend a lot of time on our dime, if you will, learning our clients, not just industry, but business. And I'll give you an example. I represent mining companies on public lands. And I will ask a client, particularly a new client, if I could visit their operations at no cost to them and have somebody explain to me how it works, what their constraints are, so I can be, frankly, a better advocate for them, having not just seen it, but explained how things are supposed to work and what gets in the way of progress. That's a lot of time. Not everybody's willing to invest it. But going back to the Not Your Father's Oldsmobile, I can remember a time 20 years ago where an out-of-state client would say, you know, we're thinking of hiring you. Can you come visit? And the veteran partner would say, when there's a billing number, I'll go. And as an entrepreneurial, younger, newer lawyer, I would say, of course, these folks want to meet us. And so I would go do so. And so there was value before they were hired. There's a value add in learning their business without them paying for it. And then hopefully there's value in the ways we were just discussing as we're doing our work week in, week out, month in, month out. And then it adds to additional value down the road. If you work with a certain group of clients and you understand their business, you understand their industry, and then you go to the next client, of course, you want to learn the differences about that client and the specifics. But the idea that you're able to share appropriately, share some knowledge of really working in that space and helping them be proactive. Those things all go back to that value. As partners are coming into the Denver office, as partners are coming into the practice, the energy and environmental and natural resources practice that you lead, what advice are you giving to them? And what advice do you really know will be critical for them as they start the business development parts of their careers? This is a marathon. A legal career is a marathon, not a sprint. Learn who your clients are, get to know them, celebrate their successes, and thank them for letting you contribute to those successes. That's after they've become your client. How do they become your client? Go see them. Ask for some time. Bring them something of value. Walk into the room, not just with, again, not a collection of people with nice resumes, but some thoughts about how you, new partner, might add value to their operations. We co-counsel far more than not 
at our firm. And we like that model very much. It's much more collaborative. It provides more opportunity for us. And I think it gets our clients where they need when we can come in and play a specific role. No mission creep. Focus on the task at hand with all the resources, regardless of where they work. And it's another one that I hear from every single client that they appreciate. They might want person A at firm one and person B at firm two, and they don't want to have to choose between firms. If person A and person B can be this sort of virtual law firm outside provider, co-counsel, external team, that's what they're looking for. And we love doing that. We're hearing more and more about partnering with organizations that might appear from the outside as being competitors, of course, firm to firm, tech company to tech company. But together, you know, there's a different environment today, it seems anyways, that people are more willing to talk to what would previously be seen as a competitor or to work with or to sit side by side. And because of course, you are stronger to the client. It seems like today... There's a whole different feeling in business, professional services, and otherwise around how do we interact you know, with others in our space, in our markets, at our client sites. So great advice. Andy, what do you enjoy most about the work that you're doing? You know, I feel so fortunate and I just said maybe lucky. I feel lucky. I love what I do. This is a tough job. It's a demanding profession, avocation, lifestyle. But I love it. I have a wonderful family, wife and four kids. And one of the things I get to do in my practice is I get to not only show them some things I've helped contribute to, again, my clients' successes, but I contribute to their success. But we go and ski on at ski areas that I've helped them permit or new facilities at those ski areas. We go rafting on rivers where I've worked on water rights issues or habitat issues or energy companies or frankly for uh, environmental nonprofits sometimes. The lights in my house and my office come from wind farms and natural gas projects that I've helped my clients to permit or to build or to obtain approvals from. And, you know, I always tell people I have a real sense of place and I move around a lot and I've worked in, I think, 47 of the 50 states. And I, when my family, when I'm with their family on vacation and we get to go and enjoy something that dad got to help his client with, I, to me, that's very special and very rewarding. And I feel very fortunate. And the other piece really is, been doing this long enough, I've made some of my closest friends in my life I met as clients. I can sense that in your voice and your approach. Any last points you'd like to add that you think would be helpful for our listeners? The final thought I would pass along is be patient. A legal career is a marathon, not a sprint. I think any career is a marathon, not a sprint. Learn your client's business, get to know them, celebrate their success and thank them for letting you contribute. I think that our clients are, have exactly the same drivers as us. They want to be successful. They want to be rewarded in their line of work. And they want to achieve success for their organization. It's that old saying about everything I ever needed to know in life, I learned in kindergarten. And I don't think that's too far off. The take a nap part, we don't get to do anymore. But you know, it may sound naive, but it seems to be well-received and a little more civility and collaboration in our professional environment. I think it not only goes a long way, I think it's what's expected and the trend we're on. Absolutely agree. Andy, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. It's my honor. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. 
It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time. 